This morning we continue in the prologue of John's Gospel, starting where we left off last time. Before we read it, however, I would like to uh, share a few thoughts in regards to the Gospel of John. It is a very unique account of the life and ministry of Jesus. He basically dives right into a deep discussion of the deity of Christ and creatorship as God. Like I mentioned last time, John is not John is not overly concerned about much of the earthly aspects of Jesus' life and uh but just to uh refresh our minds, let's read John one one through five again. <coughs> in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him nothing came into being that came that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. So I want to do a brief overview of this text to sort of recall what we've learned in those first five verses. In verse 1, immediately John starts off with the in-depth assertion of Jesus' deity, his divine nature. The word was God in verse 1. And then John introduces to us the eternal nature of Jesus. He was in the beginning with God. speaks of the eternal nature and the relationship he had with God. And further in verse 3, Jesus as creator. All things came into being through him, and apart from him nothing has come into being that has come into being. In verse 4, Jesus is a source of life, of light and life. In him was life, and the light was the light of men. And finally, Jesus' ultimate victory over darkness in verse 5. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it or overcome it, some translations render it. What a glorious portion of scripture. That's one of uh, several reasons why I chose to speak of on this gospel, and because it's one of my favorite books of the Bible. And third, I figured since we're reading through it as a scripture reading every Sunday, it might be a good book to preach on. This is now the second message out of John, so I hope and pray it will be edifying. Well, bear with me. Well, let's ask the Lord to bless our time this morning. Lord, again, we bow before your throne of grace, believing your promise that you are full of grace, loving kindness, and mercy, that you have torn the veil with the once-for-all finished sacrifice on the cross, made atonement for your sin, for your people, we acknowledge that you are utterly dependent upon we are utterly dependent upon your grace to save us and to sustain us. Therefore we are eternally indebted and grateful that you have extended that wondrous grace to us here. Be with us now, Lord, as we learn from your word and open our hearts to understand the truths contained therein. Grant me wisdom and strength to be faithful to the text and to proclaim it with authority and with accuracy. 
In Jesus' name, pray. Amen. So then, turn with me to the text of the day, John 1, verses 6 through 9. Reads like this There came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. There was the true light which, coming into the world, enlightens every man. So I want to expound a bit on this text, um, recognizing that it's not my words, but the words of Scripture that matter. But I would like to try to explain the text. And uh, So with that, let's dive into verse 6. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. So let's first look at at the first phrase there. There came a man sent from God. In other words, God sent a prophet. God spoke to, spoke to his people through the prophets. From Moses to Malachi, God has communicated to his people through men set apart specifically for, th- for this purpose of being messengers and witnesses for God. After Malachi spoke, there was a period of silence about 400 years. Silence in the sense God didn't give new revelation. Not that God hadn't spoken in the past. God spoke through many prophets and in many ways, as the book of Hebrews tells us. So the Israelites possessed the Old Testament, also known as the Hebrew Scriptures, even more specifically known as the the Tanakh, excuse me, to the Jews. As all the prophets in the past, this one was also a man, as we read, a man sent from God, still verse 6. So the prophets were not deity, but rather were men. They were sent from God as for the purpose to bear witness of God. As Apostle Peter puts it in Second Peter 1.21, Men spoke from God as they, the men or prophets, were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So Peter clarifies for us a little bit what what a prophet is and what their purpose is. A prophet is one sent directly from God to proclaim the will of God. The sent one was not the word, as the word from God and the person of Jesus Christ. In verse 1, rather he is the forerunner of the Messiah himself. And what a privilege to go ahead of Christ to make a way for him. Make way the make straight the way ahead of him. But then let's take a look at the last portion of verse 6 where we get to know him by name. Which says, There came a man sent from God whose name was John. So to get a good sense of who John is, I've drawn from the Gospel of Matthew and Luke. So turn with me to Luke chapter 1, if you will. So first point about John is where we see John is miraculously conceived because of Elizabeth's barrenness, Luke 1, verse 7. Luke 1, 7 says, But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both advanced in years. 
So his elderly parents were Zacharias and, Le- and Elizabeth, the scriptures tell us, in Luke 1.13. Moving down a little bit. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will give him the name John. John's mother, mother Elizabeth, is a relative of, a relative of Mary, the mother of Jesus. We read this in Luke 1.36. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age, and he who and she who was called barren is now in her sixth month. The name John was given to Zacharias by an angel, Luke 1.13 again. And you will give him the name John. Last portion of the verse there. The name John is a very special name indeed. It means Yahweh is gracious, or to be gracious, quite a fitting name in light of the message he brings and whom he proclaims. John is believed to be born six months prior to Jesus, and he drank no wine or liquor and was filled with the Holy Spirit in the womb, according to Luke one fifteen. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will drink no wine or liquor, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. He earns the name John the, Bapti- ja- John the Baptist or John the Baptizer for obvious reasons, that he baptized multitudes. He lives in the desert until his public appearance to Israel, Luke 1.80. And the child continued to grow and, became, and to become strong in spirit, and he lived in the desert until the day of his public appearance to Israel. John's diet and wardrobe is interesting to say the least. Um, Turn with me to Matthew 3, verse 4. Now John himself had a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and honey. His message was one of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Flipping back to Luke and the third chapter, if you will, and verse 3 this time. And he came into all the district around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. A baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. This is every child of Adam's most basic need to have their sins forgiven. And that is what John is going to preach to his peop- to the people around him. And then furthermore, John was prophesied along by the long ago by the prophets. In Luke 3, verse 4 to 6, we read of Isaiah's prophecy of John. This always amazes me. Not only was the Messiah foretold and so accurately, but so was the forerunner that would point the way to the Messiah. So in Luke 3, verses 4 to 6, we read, As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, Make ready the way for the Lord. Make his path straight. Every ravine will be filled, and every mountain and, and hill will be brought low. The crooked will become straight, and the road 
and the rough road smooth, and all flesh will be will see the salvation of God. So also John prophesied the coming of the Messiah. Read this in the 16th verse of uh, chapter 3 of Luke. John answered and said to them all, As for me, I baptize with water, but one is coming. One is coming who is mightier than I, and I am not fit, fit to untie the thongs of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. This is the most basic role of a prophet. He foretells the Messiah. And what's the message? One is coming who is mightier than I. This man sent is the last word from God. That is until John, till God speaks more fully in the incarnation of Jesus Christ. So John was thrown in prison. And uh, this is still in Luke 3. We read this, Luke 3, verse 19 and 20. But when Herod the, tet- the Tetrarch was reprimanded by, by, him beca- by him because of Herodias, his brother's wife, and because of all the wicked things which Herod had done, Herod also added this to them all. He locked John up in prison. So after his ministry, he's thrown into prison. And then later on, he is beheaded for his faith and stands because of his stance against evil. This we see in uh, Luke 9, verse 9. Herod said, I myself had John beheaded, but who is this man about whom I hear such things? So John goes from this world in a similar fashion as the other prophets. Many of them were killed because of righteousness. John was not surprised, for he recognized he had fulfilled his purpose and was fading away. He confessed in John 3, verse 3. If you want to turn there. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Sorry, that was the wrong verse. 3, verse 30. Excuse me. Short verse, but so much theology in a couple words here. He must increase, that is Christ, but I must decrease. So John is fading away, and Jesus is moving up. But So that was sort of an overview of John's life. Now let's look a little more closely at the message of John. So let's turn back to John 1, verse 7. <coughs> so John was sent from God as a witness. We see verse 7 here. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. So John's role is to point away from himself to someone. He came as a witness, John tells us. The word witness here means to testify in the case of John, specifically to testify about the light. So in verse 3 of John 1, we read, The life was the light, and that is the same light that John bears witness about. 
here in verse 7. So what is the result of John's witness? It is faith, so that all might believe through him. Which is the latter part of verse 7. So all might believe. So to believe means to place trust in, to commit unto. This means we shift trust away from ourselves and place trust in Jesus. This we do through someone. We believe someone, someone's witness, someone's testimony of the light. We as Christians have believed because of someone. Turn with me to Romans 10, verse 14. <coughs> Very familiar text. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they, how will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? So we know we have to hear the gospel. We have to hear a message, the good news. So everyone who ever believed has believed because of someone's witness to them. Someone has shared the gospel, preached the good news to them. And through that message and the work of the Holy Spirit, one comes to faith. When John speaks of saving faith, he always uses the wor a word that's in the present, meaning it's ongoing faith. It's not something temporary, not a point-in-time thing. When he speaks of temporary non-saving faith, like that of the Pharisees, that at one point believe in him, that is, believe in Jesus, then later pick up stones to kill him, when he, says they when he says they believe in him, he uses a different word that's a point in time and not continuous, like non-saving faith. So then John testifies about the light so that we might believe in the light. This is the purpose of John's witness, to bring about faith in the one who has life in himself. By believing in the light, we become children of the light. So then we see receiving the light is essential to having eternal life. By believing in the light, we become children of the light. And apart from faith in him, we will not have life in us. When we receive this light, we are transferred out of the domain of darkness into the kingdom of the light. Now, having been enlightened, we will never live in darkness. So then verse 8, he was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. He was not the light. This light is unique because it is supernatural and of God. God is called light. This light does not find its origin in man, but rather originates in God. So John was not the light, although he was a light. Look at me in John chapter 5, verse 35 for a minute. <coughs> He was the lamp that was burning and was shining. And you were willing to rejoice for a while in, the, in his light. One might think, wait a minute, I thought John was not the light. This is where proper categories are necessary, obviously, and John explains himself very well here. Notice there's a vast difference in the light of John and the light of Jesus. 
John wants to make a contrast between the two lights, so he uses a different word for John's light than for the light of Jesus in chapter 1, verse 8. Although John's light is burning and shining, it is still compared to the light of a lamp. <coughs> it is an earthly la- light which is c- temporary and fading away. The Jews were willing to rejoice for a while. So there we see the that it's temporary. And in his light, that is John's light. So the true light, however, is eternal and unfading. So then John was not the light, but came to bear witness of the true light, that is Jesus. So then move on to verse 9. Read it first again. And There was a true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. So we see there was the true light. True here is not as in true or false, but refers to the unique nature of the light. So this light is utterly unlike the lamp light of John, which is temporary and fading away. This light is the one and only light. It is very unique. Furthermore, just as Jesus is the Word in person, Jesus is the light in person. So when Jesus is the light, Jesus is the life, and in Jesus is the truth. The true light which the true light is what gives life to those who believe. The true light is the author of light itself, and therefore gives eternal life to those who believe in him. Furthermore, this light is coming into the world. You see in verse 9, this coming into the world speaks of the incarnation, which says the God of this universe, the, se- the second person of the Trinity, being the, the creator of the world, in eternity past chose to voluntarily step into his own creation at a, at a time appointed by the Father. This he did by entering human flesh, by becoming a little lower than the angels, for the purpose of redeeming his people. So we see the coming here speaks of descension, coming down. It involves humbling himself. It's a stepping down to a lower level. Jesus descended from above into his own world, bringing light down with him, being very light himself. (coughs) So then the light coming into the world enlightens every man. Further in verse 9, I want to focus a little on the word enlighten. It takes light to enlighten, and that is what light does. It illuminates. (coughs) Let's draw a little bit from the physical world. Light is energy and is essential to life. Look at the sun and the energy it gives to plants. Without the energy of the sun, plants would soon wither and die. So our bodies also need the sun's energy as well. We actually pick up vitamin D from the sun, which is vital for our health. And that's and what's more, the sun gives us light and warmth. So what the sun does to the world in the, natu- in the natural war- realm, so Jesus, the spiritual light, does in the spiritual or supernatural realm. So this enlightening could refer to the illumination that happens to the individuals when the spirit comes and sheds the light on their darkened hearts. 
in a very personal sense in personal regeneration, which is the impartation of life to the spiritually dead man. Or as described by the prophet Ezekiel, the taking out of the heart of stone and the giving of a heart of flesh. So this light enlightens every man. We see at at the end of the verse, and uh, I want to talk a little bit about every man here and the context around that. Verse 9 says, the light enlightens every man. Further on in verse 10, we have the blindness of the people. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. There is the blindness, did not know or perceive him. Then in verse 11, we have the unbelief of his own. He came to his own, and those who who were his own did not receive him. So in Scripture, receive him. And uh, receiving and believing is often so closely related that it almost looks like receiving him is the same as believing in his name. They're often found in the same verse speaking of the same thing. So then immediately following enlightened every man, we have the condition which every man is in spiritual blindness, disbelief, etc., Verses 10 and 11. Then we have the qualifier given. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. (coughs) So then we must receive him to become children of God. To have faith in him, we must first be illuminated so we can see him. But we know that faith is not the case of every man. So I do not believe it means every man without distinction here in verse 9. Like every man that ever lived or will live. In a sense, this light enlightens every man like the sun enlightens the whole world. Like the sun lights the whole world, sorry. Regardless if men decide to hide in a cave somewhere away from the sun and live in darkness. In the same way, the light enlightens every man regardless if they plunge headlong into the darkness of sin and death and also are in love with it the light has come into the world into the world so men are without excuse since men love the darkness rather than than the light they won't come to the light because they are slaves of sin so move ahead a few chapters to chapter 3 and read with me chapter 3 verse 19 and 20 We have a description of men, darkness, and the light. It reads, This is the judgment, that the light has come into the world, and men love the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light, and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. The light exposes evil, and that is exactly what men do not like. So they avoid the light for fear of being revealed. Furthermore, consider with me, if this enlightening resulted in the salvation of every man, all men would, as a result, be saved, (coughs) and we'd be universalists, which we're not. 
So universalism teaches that all mankind will ultimately be saved because of God's overwhelming love and mercy. <coughs> we know this is untrue from Scripture because we take into account God's holiness, God's wrath and justice, etc. Also, we don't ignore man's sinfulness. Paul tells us in Romans 3.23, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So then all stand condemned before a holy God who will judge the living and the dead according to their deeds. So without a Savior, all men would perish. But God in his great love and mercy chose to save a people for himself. And that from every tribe, tongue, and nation, as many as the sand of the sea, Scripture tells us elsewhere, solely by grace through faith. So we see universalism is an error because of the, the ample evidence in Scripture of examples of people who were lost and did not ultimately become saved. So how are we to understand all the every man pas- passages then? I would submit to you that each one of these passages has a specific context in which to understand them. Elsewhere in Scripture, the world went after him. In John 12:19, specifically, you guys want to turn there, read it with me. <coughs> John 12:19. So the Pharisees said to one another, "You must." You see that you are not doing any good. Look, the world has gone after him. So in this verse, does the world mean every person? I don't think so. <coughs> we must recognize the way which words are used in Scripture. World is defined in, in the context it's used. John alone in his writing uses at least 14 distinguishable, distinguishable and different words meanings of world and so also the word all or every man and so on have distinct meanings defined by its context this is the way they wrote it (coughs) so how do we then apply this text to our personal lives how is this passage relevant to us now I believe it is very relevant to us today and to make application I would like to zoom in a little bit in a few specific areas in the text. This man that was sent from God has a special purpose and message. He was to go before the Lord and to prepare the way. He was to bear witness of the true light so that men may be enlightened and as a result have faith in Jesus. (coughs) In the same way we have been called We have been justified. We who have been justified and have been sanctified and glorified, though we are not yet fully glorified, we are both in the now and the not yet. So those of us who are saved have the life-giving light residing in us and have become children of the light. So as the children of the light, we are called to be a light and a witness. Sort of have the same calling as John. We are commanded to go into all the world and to preach the gospel to every creature. We are called to 
to be God's instruments to bring the light into this very dark and sinful world. We do this by living out the gospel and preaching the gospel. So let us turn aside from every work of darkness so we may be effective witnesses. Let us delight in doing good and walk in the light as we are called by scripture. So what is our message? It is this, the true light has come into the world and and enlightened every man. The light has come into the world and has has shone brightly. Never has the darkness been greater than this. When the true light came into the world, the world rejected the light. So much do men love darkness. When the light shines all around them, they feel naked and exposed. And they despise the light as a result and plunge deeper into the darkness. And great was the darkness. So those of you who do not believe, I would ask you to turn to the light now. Be freed from the bondage of darkness. Now is the time, says scripture. Today is the day. While it is still called today, turn from your sin and believe in the glorious Son of God for your salvation. He died in the place of sinners so that sinners may live. He rose again on the third day according to the scriptures. How deep is that darkness now, but how bright will the light be when you receive the light and believe in him. Those of us who believe, may this light be kindled afresh this morning, and and may we shine brightly for our Lord. With that, I will close in prayer. O Father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, We have been greatly blessed again by your word. We were challenged and we were convicted. We also found instruction and purpose as we drank from this fountain of truth. Lord, I thank you for your truth. Thank you for your word. And ask that you would mold and shape our hearts by your word as the potter shapes the clay as he desires. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.